Welcome to the Emergency Mind Podcast. I'm Dan Dworkis, and this is a space where we train ourselves to think and perform better during times of crisis. ER doctors or not, we all face emergencies in our lives, and this podcast is all about getting better at acting during times of uncertainty at stress and learning how to apply knowledge under pressure. So listen up, train hard, and enjoy, because you never know what's coming your way next. To learn more about building your emergency mind and to dig deeper into many of the concepts we get into in this podcast series, head over to our website at emergencymind.com. My guest this episode is Jody Strock, a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California and a devoted student of Buddhism, yoga, and mindfulness. In this conversation, we jump into the idea and logistics of a mindfulness practice and look at the interactions of body, mind, and emotions as they play out before, during, and after an emergency. All of us can benefit from more mindfulness during times of crisis, and there's some real gems in this conversation that you can start practicing immediately. There's also some deeper dives into what mindfulness is and how it relates to our day-to-day life. If you're interested in connecting more with Jody, she can be reached at Jody Strock LMFT. That's one word, J-O-D-I-S-T-R-O-C-K-L-M-F-T at gmail.com. As always on this podcast, our mission is to dive into applying knowledge under pressure, not to provide specific medical advice. Additionally, our opinions are our own and not those of our respective employers. All that said, let's get to the episode. I hope you enjoy. All right, Jody, I'm so happy to be here with you today talking about this. I've really been looking forward into digging into this with you. I'm really glad to be here too. Right on. I was hoping that we could start by talking a little bit about mindfulness and how that plays into our ability to handle really difficult or stressful situations. So I know that mindfulness plays a big part in your uh, practice, both in your personal practice and your professional practice. How did you first start getting uh, involved in the idea of mindset, excuse me, mindfulness as its own thing? I started, I think, when I was younger, and I think I've even mentioned this to you when we were speaking. I always was really drawn to practices that, um, that brought me back to a sense of quiet. I was raised in, a, in an environment, I grew up in New Jersey, and it was the environment was always really loving and loud and vivacious when family would get together and I would find that I loved my family and I loved being with them and there was like a place in me that kind of always wanted to retreat a little bit at some point and I think as I got older um, books like Siddhartha and the Tao Te Ching and these books that represented different philosophies that I never knew even existed in the world were so juicy to me when I was like 12, 13, 14. Then I got into like paganism and um, Wiccan and again what really drew me to those was um, the connection with the earth and again I can look back now and see it was about slowing down. Really it was this early young calling to come home to what was a tr- the true nature of my being mm-hmm. and um, trying to straddle this world where I was learning at school and you know growing up in the 80s and 90s just this idea of positive self-esteem and you know making sure that everybody was a winner and all of these things for me I think I took that really literally and it felt like 
pressure. Hmm. And so I felt this one pull to be a certain way in the world that really amped me up and made me nervous and made me feel like I didn't maybe fit and, you know, inadequacy. And then I felt this inner calling to come back to nature and come back inside and explore this place. And that was really where it began. And then once I got into college, I became head of the fitness department there for teaching aerobics and such and so I had to audition the people that would end up teaching at our place and there was this girl who reached out and said I'd love to teach yoga and I remember thinking I mean I was an athlete my whole life and I taught really intense physical classes and I was at the gym and I was very kind of I joined the societal to amp everything up all the time and here was this woman coming asking to teach this very different thing and I was like oh my gosh I so do not want to do this audition it sounds so boring I auditioned her and the whole time my mind was racing I was looking at the clock I couldn't wait for it to end Hmm. and then she put me into Shavasana and I was thinking gosh how am I going to break the news maybe they're you know, maybe there are people that would actually enjoy this. Is this really what we want the fitness department offering? And I knew nothing at that point about yoga, except for the fact that my grandma sometimes did it with like Campbell's soup cans, Um, (laughs) which I don't know what that looks like. Um, But that was, she was the first person to teach me that word. But in Shavasana, which for the people who don't know what that is, that's at the very end when you lay down and it's called corpse pose. And at the end, when I was in Shavasana, it, she came over and she just gently pressed on my shoulder, chest area, and then touched the place right in between my eyes um, and my forehead. And I just felt everything get really still and quiet. And that was the first time in years that it got quiet in my own mind. When it was time to come out of Shavasana, I couldn't wait to take class again. And that whole experience to be looking at the clock and watch my mind racing and to be so resistant and then to have that experience at the end and not be able to wait to come back, I was in. That's kind of what, where I got the taste of mindfulness. That's where it really started. And by the time I was around that age, I was in my late teens, just before I hit my early 20s. And that's where it kind of began. Hmm. So you were exposed to some of the ideas about mindfulness in some of those early books. Siddhartha that you mentioned is an incredible book that deals a lot with mindfulness. And there's a quote from that. I really like Siddhartha. The character says, uh, somebody asks him essentially, like, what is it that you can do? And he says, I can think, I can wait, and I can fast. And that idea of being quiet and being present and thinking for yourself as his actual strength that is sort of played out over and over again in the book is a really important piece of it and you know that that mindfulness that ability to sit and wait and think is something that a lot of the different folks on this podcast have talked about before most recently in the last episode uh, professor gustavo was talking about being in a very disadvantageous or very difficult jujitsu position and one of the differences between the novice and the expert being the, the further along you are, the more capable you are of sitting quietly in that position and not panicking. And I think that in some sense, that's a, that's a sort of a definition of mindfulness in general is sitting quietly in whatever space you're inhabiting and not panicking, which is not an easy thing sometimes to do. So as you look at your own journey from that, you're describing sort of reading about it and then tasting it for the first time in some sense. 
when did you really first start or how did you really first start practicing that mindfulness in, in your daily life? To me, that's part of what I was hoping to really convey in talking today. And that's that I don't think that, that for me, the more I understand about this practice and the more I'm a student of it, is that it's not you know, one thing that kind of lit my fire. Um, there's plenty of moments that gave me little tastes. Um, but there's an opportunity to bring mindfulness into our day in every moment. So it could be something where we don't even realize we're practicing mindfulness, but after a long, long day at work or whatever it is, or after an intense workout where we get in the shower and we're just like, ah, and we feel the water, whether it's a cold shower or a hot shower, whatever you prefer, there's just that moment where you're taking it in and you're just right there. And for me, when we have those moments, what woke me up and lit me up was the idea that's actually mindfulness. And that relaxed me quite a bit because what was polarized in my mind for so long is that I couldn't possibly be one of those people who meditated and who did yoga and, and that just seemed so far away from what I was even allowed to be, let alone how I viewed myself. So these little ideas along the way and the teachers that I had um, that I kind of fell into that were accepting and kind of teaching me just to be with my discomfort just a little bit longer. Uh, enjoy the, the feelings of pleasure a little bit more when they're there. Lean into those and also lean into the things that aren't so great. That, that to me is what opened the path to mindfulness in a real way. I actually, um, growing up, I struggled with um, body image issues and eating disorder and when I checked myself into treatment when I was in my early 20s, part of my struggle was that I over-exercised and that was a way for me to control and manipulate my body that was not serving me well and I really didn't want to be that way anymore but it was so habituated and there was so much around it that was outside of the behavior itself that fed into it. Hmm. So when they first, when I first checked in, they told me I was going to be on exercise restriction and I wasn't allowed to do any exercise for the first two weeks and then I'd be reassessed. And that felt like somebody dropped me in the middle of hell. And I mean, more specifically, I remember sitting on the bench and literally feeling like my whole body was made of butter and it was slowly melting. Like I, lit I felt like all my bones and muscles were just completely melting away and I felt this panic rise in my whole body in that moment. I actually wanted to get up and run. I wanted to pull my hair out, I wanted to scream. And there was also this place that knew this is exactly what I needed to give myself the space to experience. And I don't know how I knew that, and I didn't know where that came from. But there was this deep knowing that once again came back to that quiet place that I think I was turning towards as a, as a younger child so, so often. And so that, that was very profound to me because it taught me how to be with something that for so long I avoided being with. Mm. And it lit this place in my mind that was like, and you can do this. So if you sat with this today, you can sit with it tomorrow. 
and then you can sit with it tomorrow. And it didn't get easy the next day. You know, there was a lot of tears and there was a lot of challenge. And But I think what I'd like to name that might be more relatable to the general population is that these kind of um, reactions that we have in our whole body, whether it's when somebody that we care about really deeply has a different point of view than us politically maybe, or if we're driving down the street and somebody yells something and scares us, like there's this whole gripping that happens in our system. And we can react to that by giving the person who yelled the finger or, you know, curling into a ball on the side of the road or, you know, whatever it is. Or we can turn and watch what's rising in the body and learn, hmm, when this gets triggered, this is what happens inside of here. I can be with this. And that, that to me is where the door opens and that's where it begins to relate to how to show up in emergencies. We don't actually have to wait for the emergency to happen. That the training is really in the everyday moments when your neighbor who lives upstairs from you drops something heavy, right? <laughs> watching what happens in your system when that goes on. These little moments just turning in and watching what arises in the body, that's been one of the greatest teachings of mindfulness for me. Mm-hmm. That, that is so cool, that, that idea. Um, that, that's how the door opens. And the door opens by starting wherever it is that you happen to be and moving forward through it from there. Um, I think that that idea of little bits of daily practice and continuing to, to monitor yourself and seeing how you behave and what you do and then tuning that slightly over time is a really, really powerful idea. So I want to press on that a little more. So let's say, you, mo- you mentioned a moment ago that we don't have to wait for emergencies to start practicing how we behave when things get hard. And I think that's very true. But I want to cast us forward into one of those situations for a moment, and then we can work backward from there. So let's say we're in an emergency, and, and this can be you know, a, an emergency doctor in the middle of a tough case. This can be you're driving and there's a car accident. This can be a really challenging you know, social or personal situation, a really high uh, intensity conversation with somebody or, or whatever it is, you find yourself in this moment and you realize that what's happening is is really, really hard for you, that there's this huge emotional reaction to it. There's this sense of, you know, what you described as, as wanting to pull your hair out and run and scream and feeling like you're on fire. Um, through your training and, and the way that you teach people to handle this, what do you do? What's your advice to somebody in that situation? There's a few things. I think one is noticing within, just noticing what you feel in your body. There's something about bringing yourself into that place in your own experience that roots you in, mm-hmm. right? And when you're the responder, that can be really useful. You know, I'm thinking about when that, you know, you and I had that experience when it was so random, but we were gardening for this volunteer event and I reached into the soil and got poked by a hypodermic needle. Um, Terrible luck. Terrible luck. What happened internally is the person on the receiving end of that experience was, it was like, oh, that just happened. I should go find Dan. He's an emergency room doctor. He'll probably know what to do. And of course, I've been practicing you know, mindfulness and meditation daily for years now. So I could actually see in that moment my mind going to like those panicked places. Like it was going to, this could mean this, 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 and this. And you know, as a child raised in the 80s and 90s, 
that was like the worst thing that could possibly happen to somebody. So there was the little girl in me who was responding that way. But I could see all of that. And with practice, I was able to just turn, you know, set it aside, like acknowledge it, see it, and come right back to, well, right now, what is needed? And what was needed was for me to get support from you um, because I didn't have all the information. And I think the way I saw you meet it in that moment, right, I could almost see like you were enjoying yourself and building this thing. And I said, hey, Dan, and you know, and you're like, yeah, what's up? And I could just see that transition happen in you from when I told you what happened and what was happening before, where you just kind of went into this state of real, like you were very calm and you were very centered. I'm gonna highlight two or three things that you said in there. Yeah. Implicit in what you're saying is is the concept that's a really deep concept actually that your response to a, a dangerous or a challenging situation is somewhat proportional to the way, like the ability you have to look within yourself. And that's yeah. not really obvious if you haven't trained on this or thought about it before, right? It'd be, it would be more obvious to say, well, my response to a dangerous situation is proportional to my ability to act outside of myself. Like how good am I at steering the car or in an emergency, how much do I understand the doses of different medications and can I put the tube in the right place? That's sort of a more logical conclusion, but really, um, and I think this is one of the themes that we've explored in a lot of these episodes, like your ability to perform is proportional to your ability to understand your own inner being and your own inner world. And so that sense of first look within and figure out what you understand about that and what you, can you control is, is a very non-obvious and very important thing. Um, a really favorite book of mine, The Inner Game of Tennis, talks about this quite a lot. Uh, w. Timothy Galway talks a lot about the idea that like it's not just understanding the mechanics of making a stroke. And I, I don't play tennis, so I'm, I'm you know, I'm like merely parroting what I learned here, but it's not the mechanics of the stroke so much as it is your understanding of your own self in that moment. The other thing that you mentioned that's that's really worth highlighting is that idea that you can switch your mindsets from one thing to another. You can be in, you know, you don't have to start the day in emergency mode and live the entire day in emergency mode. In fact, you really shouldn't do the entire day in emergency mode. It's not great for that but it's a thing that you can slip on, that you can turn yourself into when you really need it. And, and that was sort of the idea behind the emergency mind in general, which is that there's a different mindset that you can deploy when you need to. Um, so it's really cool to hear you say that you saw me do that. It's an interesting sort of like feedback mechanism in that sense. Yeah, it was like kind of like I just watched it happen. I think in emergency situations, there's this idea that we need to kind of speed up, perk up, be alert, be ready. And I don't know about you, but even saying those words, I feel my stomach tighten, I feel my chest grip, I feel my shoulders go back. And when I've been in emergency situations on the receiving end, those are not the qualities that help me feel most relaxed as the person being tended to. And it's certainly not what um, allows me to access the place in myself that allows me to show up for another being in a connected, caring way. I want to shift gears a little bit here. So we've been talking a lot about showing up for an emergency and how we handle it in that exact moment. Earlier, you mentioned that our ability to do that really relates to how we handle ourselves in our day-to-day -day life and how we bring mindfulness into 
uh, as opposed to being something we do at the end of a yoga class or something we do just when we need it in an emergency. It's a thing that we do as part of our daily life. Mm -hmm. So I want to shift to that a little bit. What are some of the things that you found, again, perhaps from your professional experience or personal, as you're teaching people how to be more mindful of themselves, what are some things that you found that, that work for people that maybe have never considered this before? You know, I think the first thing is, is it can be so intimidating. Like, that's what's coming to my mind, is it can feel so intimidating, I think, to be on the side of things where you feel like someone's asking you to step into mindfulness. Um, and that's something that in my practice with my clients, we just sit and breathe together. And there's like a guided meditation, but it's simply to do exactly what we've been talking about in this podcast. It's to notice what's happening inside their body in that moment. And my teacher does this check-in, this centering, where it's what's happening inside your body right now? What sensations are you aware of in your body? What are you aware of in your mind right now? If you could kind of peek into a little window and see inside your mind, is the mind tired? What's the weather like in there? Is Are the thoughts moving quickly? Are they moving slowly? Just to get a sense of the mind that's here. And then she guides to taking a look at and exploring um, what emotions are present. I find when we're beginning a mindfulness practice that's more formal, those are three questions that those alone, even if you're not sitting with your legs crossed or your feet on the floor and your eyes closed, it can be so nice to wake up in the morning and go through and notice, oh, hmm, yeah, my neck's a little tight this morning. Okay, I feel a sensation of tension in the neck and, oh, a little pain, you know, and then what's the mind doing? Oh, the mind's a little sleepy and heavy. And what's the emotions? Oh, I woke up feeling really agitated. You know, it can be so useful to tune into these things. Um, so those three questions, again, for maybe those of us that are still working on our mindfulness, mm-hmm. what is the body doing, what is the mind doing, and what are the emotions? Yeah, so yeah, what's, you know, what's, what are the sensations in the body? What is happening in the mind? And what emotions are you present to? And this just gives us the very basic um, layout of beginning to turn towards what's happening versus turning away. I think a lot of us in um, any situation, but certainly in emergency situations, it can be so easy to feel triggered and to want to turn away and then to also have this pull to need to show up. And when we're in that grappling, like fighting ourselves place, I imagine it just makes it more challenging, Hmm. right? So if we have this practice where it's like, oh, I'm really kind of repulsed by this, you know, the way this emergency looks right now this person's body part is on the ground next to them and I want to throw up you know and then there's this place inside that you have a practice it's like okay so repulsion is here it's like beginning to name it so that it can it doesn't it doesn't have to be separate from the experience it doesn't have to be something we're fighting against while we're trying to show up it's kind of like putting our arm around this part of ourselves and say yeah this belongs and my attention is going to stay here right now instead. Right. So the, the idea is not that we have to conquer or defeat these thoughts, merely that we have to accept them and move to where we need to focus our presence. Yes. And, and I have found that that's so simple, but it's not easy. You know, like it really does take practice. I mean, for me, like it's actually, and I, I don't know if other people, I'm, I imagine, I hope other people can relate to that, this, but, um, but 
it's hardest for me actually with the people I'm closest to in my life. You know, when I'm with a stranger or with somebody else or in an emergency situation with someone outside of me, there's this, you know, the attachment's not there. And this is kind of getting into the psychology piece of things a little bit, but the greatest places of practice for me are with my partner, are with my children, right? Are those moments where for myself, I set a boundary with my child and say, all right, it's time to go to, you know, it's time to go to bed and I'm not going to come back up tonight because I have some work I need to do. And I go back downstairs and a few minutes later, I need you. Deep breath. <sighs> go back up. What do you need? I just wanted you to stay in my room for a few more minutes. Agitation. Anger. <laughs> Deep breath. Okay, I love you. I have some work to do. I need to go back downstairs. Go back downstairs. My foot hurts, right? So it's like those little moments are such juicy practice moments. And it's not, I'm not sitting there. I just want to be really clear. It's not like I'm like, this is a great moment to practice. Thank <laughs> you, child, for this moment of agitation, right? It's more of like, Ugh! and then there's this moment of, oh, that's where I get caught. That's where it's really hard huh. for me. Hmm. And are you literally saying the words to yourself in your mind, okay, this is anger, okay, this is frustration? Sometimes in my better moments. I mean, <laughs> other times I get angry and then after the fact, I'm like, that was a really big reaction to them saying their foot hurt. Yeah. Anger was there, right? So it's, it's a practice. It's not, you know, like once you do this, at least for me, I haven't done it, you know, I haven't found the number of times I have to do it so that I don't, slip into these places. To me, what the practice does is it supports me and offers compassion and care when I'm falling into those places, after I've fallen into those places, while I'm falling into those places, you know? Thankfully, being uh, enlightened is not a prerequisite to be on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> what a relief. <laughs> that's, a, that's such an important, really juicy idea right there, that idea of continually working with yourself to to name what you're feeling and allow it to happen like that. I mean, there's so many times in the middle of a crisis in the emergency department where, you know, there's screaming, there's yelling, there's a lot of things that produce these emotions. And again, it's not just, I need 300 milligrams of amniodarone right now, right? You're trying to say that and understand that thought in the context of, you know, a appropriately responding wailing family member who's watching their loved one you know, maybe die, mm -hmm. and you're dealing with the emotional echo from the person before you having yelled at you the wrong way, or all these things. And so, understanding what you're feeling and and having the ability to to pause, to touch that feeling, to name that emotion, and move on mm -hmm. is really really important. In jujitsu class the other day, we were talking about a very similar thing, which is the idea that whatever position you're in, you can always make it worse by getting angry and panicked whatever the thing is and just sort of acknowledging that in yourself that wherever I am right now however hard it is I definitely can make it worse for myself by going in a particular direction and that in some sense understanding that and that those sort of levers you can push and pull in yourself is the first step in going the other direction which is to say okay well if I can make it worse and this, this comes from um, Ian one of the guys I trained with who said look if I know I can make it worse I know I can make it better and so that's my first step in understanding, hey, what am I going to need to do to, to allow this emotion to pass and to pull myself back from it? Mm. Which I think is an incredibly important skill 
uh, for anybody in the middle of a crisis. I think this is the therapist in me coming out, but my view is that it's not to, to necessarily like have the emotion and then get over it or choose something different. It's more of, I have this emotion. Is this something that I need to move through right now? Like creating that space. I just know for myself that's been really valuable because emotions are energy in motion. That's what they are. Like they move through our body and sometimes it's love and it kind of our, we can feel our whole heart center light up. Sometimes it's anger and sometimes it's sadness. But I know that when anger arises for me, whether it's because I'm getting caught in my own perspective or if it's really something else that's flagging, it's usually an indication that a boundary is being crossed in some way. You know, and so that's sure. important information that I'll miss if I just, you know, put it aside. And I don't think you were saying that, but I just want to clarify because what I find a lot with um, just the world around us right now, we can get so caught up, and I'm including myself in this, in this striving mentality that we have to take some information that we're hearing and get ourselves somewhere other than where we are. Mm. And I think it's really, um, for, for me, like what's allowed me to relax so much in situations. I struggled with anxiety a lot growing up. It was part of what led me to a lot of the behaviors that I engaged in the eating disorder behaviors was it was a way to manage anxiety and to physically run was to wear myself out so that I didn't have to feel that. Um, pulsating, vibrating sensation in my whole body. What I found is that learning to actually let myself feel it is what invited in a space of healing, hmm. you know, and, the, and to really sort through how much of this is actually mine and how much of this is being carried from where I've, what I've been through in my life that hasn't really, this energy and motion has not moved through my body the way it needs to yet. And then also there's a place of any of us, and my teacher says this all the time and I love it. It's like, if we're feeling angry and we're feeling anxious right now and you know, we're feeling sad, that's, that means we're paying attention. Hmm. Right? There's a lot to feel angry and sad and anxious about that's going on in the world right now. And so it's, I don't think we need to rush through those things, but open to that. And it's reminding me of when, you know, doctors a lot of the time um, that I've known, some have beautiful bedside manner and are so compassionate, much like you. And some seem so cut off and disinterested. I think it's actually way harder to keep your heart open when you're dealing with emergencies all the time. What Eden always says, our hearts are actually always open, but there's obstacles to get in the way. Huh. And so I think there's a lot of obstacles when we're dealing with trauma and emergency constantly. Because when we're moving from one to the other and we're not stopping to let our heart break, it devastates the spirit. Like we actually, and, and that sounds a little spiritual, so let me speak to it more you know, um, directly for people that that doesn't resonate with. We hold it in our body. Our body carries it. It leads to feeling depressed. It leads to feeling anxious. It leads to feeling disconnected. Why? Because we have to work really hard to not feel those things that are so human. And the only solution then is to not really fully engage with the person in front of us. So I would say, you know, going back to the question, what do people do? Like, what, what's some um, feedback for people in the emergency field in these emergency situations? I would say when, when the emergency passes at the end of your day, maybe you've had 15 emergencies that you've dealt with and maybe you've had one. Let your heart break. Let your heart break. 
and begin to find ways to hold yourself there. And and so linked again to what you were saying at the beginning that the first step is learning to look inside yourself and understand what's really going on and where you are. Even if you can't do it in that exact second, even if that exact second, the answer has to be, okay, this is anger. I cannot process this right now. I will keep moving forward. To not, not pretend that that doesn't exist, but instead to go back, to circle back to that and say, okay, now I'm going to sit down with that and try to figure that out. That's a really deep, really deep practice. And I, I am certainly a learner of that in my own life, both in and out of the emergency department, how to handle that and how to balance that. There's two things that, that jump to mind to me as, as we're describing all of this. One is something that uh, Dr. Andrea Austin said in, in episode three, where she was talking about using your emotions and, and learning from your emotions to help you figure out where you have the ability to, to change what's happening. And so what she was describing there is the idea is as you're going through the process of a day, try to take these notes about when in the day you feel this tightness, when in the, in the process you feel this sort of heart rate increasing. And she was referring to it more within the context of a single procedure, but it works on a larger scale through your day as well. And you can use it in some sense like a barometer to figure out, oh, there's something here I really need to think more about, even if it's not possible really to do at that exact moment. The other thing is to think about sort of the idea of, of mindfulness as a practice. And, and we've talked a lot today and in several of our other episodes about the importance of mindfulness and, and being aware of what's happening within you. Um, to your performance under pressure. Uh, can you speak for a moment about maybe the difference between being um, a beginner, sort of having an informal mindfulness practice and transitioning, or maybe not even transitioning because that implies like a directionality to it, but having the other side of a, a really formal mindfulness practice? Sure. Um, yeah, and I, I just want to say, I, when I first began on this journey, as I mentioned, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't have been imagined that I'd be sitting here talking to you about mindfulness. I mean, it's kind of so awesome. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, because truly, it's like I, I'm a student of this practice that I just fall in love with. Like, it's so fun, really. And, and that's who is it? There's um, a yoga teacher, Jessica, who says, you know, if you're not having fun, you're not going to stick with it. Mm. Um, so I think it's important to just bring some of that into mindfulness too, is that it's, it's fun and it also there's moments that feel really good. And that's not also not what it's about. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, but it's not about wallowing and feeling bad either. It's just having these human experiences. That's really all it is, is it's having these human experiences and finding a way to hold them just as they are and particularly for our culture here in the U.S., we have a tendency to be really tough and hard and striving in many ways, like a culture of striving and competitiveness. So I think part of mindfulness for us here that can be really supportive is being compassionate and nurturing. And so as that relates to an informal practice that might be more appealing to someone who's just beginning, like just dipping your toe in the water, you could start right now. Like right now, while you're listening to the podcast, you can just close your eyes and just notice the temperature of your body and just notice what it feels like to be sitting on whatever it is that you're sitting on or if you're out for a jog or doing something else, just noticing your feet or your body making contact with the surface. And congratulations, you know, you were just, you just had a mindful moment. You know? <laughs> it's really that simple. 
you know, when you see the sun setting, which it is here right now, and it's so beautiful, it's just pausing to really see the colors that are there. Just pausing to slow down, you know, maybe just hesitate for a moment before you pick up your phone to take a picture of it Hmm. and let it in. So that that to me is a, a gift of just bringing mindfulness into the day to day that lights me up. It's the difference between bath time with my kids being a stressful situation of me getting them from whatever we were doing before into bed to remembering, oh yeah, this is fun. Look, they're splashing and the water's warm and this is a time for us to connect or, oh, they're a little grumpy and they're kind of at each other a bit today. Hmm. You know, to me, those are little moments that we don't have to have a seated meditation formal practice to engage in Hmm. that idea again of of wherever you are open the door right there and start looking through it that's exactly Um, now if if a more formal practice is appealing to you or if you're just starting there's so many theories on this and i think first of all to know the benefit in formal practice the benefit of formal practice is that it's taking time on a regular basis could be every day where you're sitting down and you're choosing just to practice this in a formal way and you have an anchor, it can be your breath, it can be the sounds around you, um, it can be the sensations in your body. There's so many things that, that we can turn to as an anchor and what I mean by an anchor is that is where you're going to intend to keep your attention while you're sitting. And you can set a timer and it can be for let's say two minutes if you're just starting and say for the next two minutes I'm just going to notice the sensations that come up in my body. And that can be it for you. Or for the next two minutes, I can just notice what it feels like when the air goes through the septum inside my nose or when it fills up my chest cavity and then lets go. And anytime your mind wanders, which it will, lots of times, when you remember, you just come back to the anchor. And then when the bell goes off, you're done. Whether it's two minutes or... 10 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever you choose. And the benefit of that, what I've noticed is that um, as I have a daily practice now, is I start to watch when emotions arise. They don't have to tidal wave and take over. It's like there's this, before it's like I didn't, it wasn't that the anxious part of me was present. It's that I was anxious. Mm. And I didn't have a a vocabulary or an experience to separate it. But through um, a formal practice of every day watching, hmm, actually, today, the sensations in my body feel rather grounded and centered and calm. Oh, hmm, today, my heart is racing and I have that leaning forward energy the anxious one is here, right? It started to give me this um, this availability to see that I wasn't the emotion that I was having. Hmm. It was just a part of me that was arising. And when that happens, we become less attached and then we become, we can start to practice having less reactivity. And it's something I have to practice all day, every day with all the different parts of you know, me that show up. Um, but that's that's been a really valuable practice um, that, I've engaged in that formal practice has bought. And um, there's, a, there's a book out right now actually by Ruth King who um, wrote, it's Mindfulness of Race, or Mindful of Race. 
and she talks about this really great formal practice that's so awesome. She said, meditate five minutes, five days a week for five weeks. Just try that if you're interested in a formal practice. And I thought, hmm, that's brilliant. So it was kind of cool to hear that from nice. her. Nice, yeah. It's um, a totally bite-sized thing to do. Yeah. It, yeah, it's completely accessible. And there's a book called Relational Mindfulness that Deborah Eden Toll wrote, and that speaks so much to the informal and formal practice. So it starts to give you these little inquiries to just bring into your day and explore. What did you learn growing up about sensitivity? You know, so these little things that we can just begin to explore in that book is amazing. Jody, thank you. This has been so cool to talk to to talk to you about this. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt to summarize a little bit about what we've done today, which sounds like we've covered an arc about understanding how we relate to mindfulness uh, and to our emotions, both in and outside of of a real emergency. And we talked about the importance of starting by looking within ourselves and getting comfortable exploring what we find in there. The three questions that we started to ask, right? What are the sensations in my body? What is my mind doing right now? And and what are the emotional things that are happening in my life? Or what emotions am I experiencing? Um, And with that is the idea of wherever we are, we have the option of opening the door and starting to look through it, which is to say that whatever phase of life we're in, whatever part of the day we're in, whatever everything we're in, we have the ability right there to bring practice and to start practicing. And it's that practice, that day in and day out practice that allows us to show up more fully, not just when we're sitting on a couch, but when something's really going down in an emergency. And in that case, we talked a little bit about the idea of starting to name our emotions, to get curious about what we're feeling and to be able to decide Am I going to let this one go or am I going to process this one? But not to pretend that we don't feel it, instead to understand that there are times and places to really dig into it. Um, is there anything I missed in there? Any sort of last second uh, pearls of wisdom for anybody listening to this? Not, not that I can think of. <laughs> um, but I'm just in awe of like, your ability to summarize. It's, it really is, it blows me away. <laughs> Simplicity is not my skill set. Uh, um, I tend to ramble, as everyone now knows. Um, <laughs> so that just blew my mind. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a, lot to, a lot to digest and a lot to think about. Thankfully, one of the themes is we can work on it piece by piece from wherever we are. Yes. Um, so, Jody, thank you so much for, for being on this podcast. It's just an absolute pleasure to talk to you about it. Oh, thanks for having me. This is fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emergency Mind podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, but more importantly, I hope you found something in there that you can use next time you find yourself in the middle of an emergency. To learn more about what we talked about in this episode and about building your emergency mind in general, head over to our website at emergencymind.com.